Welcome to First Rung, a stuff-honed podcast brought to you with support from Razine. I'm reporter and would-be homeowner Kylie Klein-Nixon, and guess what? You made it! You've bought a house and you're all moved in. But don't put your feet up just yet, there's still lots of work to do. In this episode, we'll hear from a first-time buyer who not only bought on her own, but did the reno job on her own too. Then we catch up with builder extraordinaire Stan Scott and Razine painting and decorating consultant Jay Sharples for some expert tips on sprucing up your new home and setting up a maintenance schedule you can live with. So strap on your tool belt and start stirring the paint. We've got value to add to our new property. But first, meet Shaden Whips, a born DIY enthusiast who's been sharing everything he's learned from his own reno adventures with wife Georgia and their pooch Frankie on the Mooch Style blog. I come from a family who flipped houses. My dad and my stepmom have this insane ability to find find gold. And they live in Southland and throughout my childhood they would purchase homes and flip them whilst renovating a whole farm and a farmhouse where we grew up. So they constantly had projects on the go and they constantly involved us wow. as as kids. Mm. So that was really my first experience with renovating. And then I thought I'd just give it a crack uh, with our own home. <laughs> and Georgia had no experience That's... at all, so kind of dragged her along as well. <laughs> right, so so you kind of been in and around renovations and DIY and you felt quite handy when you bought your first home? Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess it just comes down to having that mentality of, uh, should we write, let's just give it a go. <laughs> and that's exactly <laughs> what we've done. <laughs> so so did that actually impact how you chose your first home? Like, did you go out when you guys got together and decided we're going to buy together? Did you go out looking for something that you could do up or... Yeah, we did. You know, did that, yeah, how did that factor into your decision making? Yeah, that's exactly what we did. So we wanted a villa, and I I grew up in a um in a villa on an old um on a very old farm. So I just kind of fell in love with the villa vibe and and could appreciate the the character homes. I knew that they were hard work because of what I'd seen with my parents. And Georgia thought that they were cute. So um, we, yeah, so we went looking for bungalows and villas in Christchurch. And this was about four years ago. And at the same time, so was everybody else. So it was a bit of a mission to find right. our home. Yeah, but we knew we knew we were going to be renovating. Well, did you have a limit on how bad the house was, could be? I mean, did you kind of go, right, here's our budget for renovation, so we can't really look for something that needs a new roof or we don't want anything that's got pile issues? Or So was it more cosmetic things you were looking for? or When we were looking, we were kind of looking for something that hadn't been too touched because we wanted to make sure we did it right and... When we went out looking, we were dodging the original homes because we knew we didn't really have the budget to to completely transform our first home. But in saying that, mm-hmm. we were also looking for a home that had good things like good school zones, um, bus stop close, and uh, in a great area, something that we could make money on. So with this home, it had been flipped Uh really badly <laughs> and we were like this is this is beautiful it's going to be a cosmetic thing for this house it had a brand new kitchen the bathroom and laundry was newish it had hardwood floors 
but uh, yeah, we um, we ended up changing everything except the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so we were we were kind of conscious of where our money was being spent in the home. How did you sort of design your project, manage your renovations, if you like? So that's uh, key to any renovation is kind of understanding who's re- who is going to take on that role, whether it be you or a third party or another person um, inside mm-hmm. your relationship. So with us, it's me because I'm a marketer, so I'm used to things moving all the time. I, I have more access mm-hmm. to the tradies during the day, whereas George is a teacher. So right, I right. so I'm I'm used to writing Gantt charts and running spreadsheets and that's what I do for my reno. So everything right. everything kind of needs to hit the mark. So we were actually just talking about it on our trip home from Tekapo today and I said to Georgia, right, we need to sit down and we need to sort financially how we're going to afford the landscaping, which is the last of the project, and also when we're going to do the plantings. So I'll just I'll project manage that and run the figures and make sure that we are sort of hitting hitting the budget and the timeframes as well. So how strict are you? Like how tightly do you manage those sorts of things? I'm a bit of a realist with with Renaults because especially owning a villa, things blow out. Yeah. Uh, especially timeframes. Our bathroom has taught us a really good lesson. Uh, it went about 2K over budget, which is fine, but it was still a, still a bit of a blow. Mm. But time-wise, we kind of have to work to time. Otherwise, when we go to sell, it's not going to be ready. So we're just very conscious of we want to sell it next summer. And to sell it next summer, we want established gardens. We want the house to be finished. We want the paint to be shining. So... We're very strict with that, but with budget, we kind of always have a slush fund there just in case it goes over. We're not too precious about counting um, every penny, but at the same time, it still it does break the bank when it goes over. Right, yeah, yeah, of course. So what's one key piece of advice you'd give anyone who's thinking they're going to buy their first home to do up? They're looking for a sort of a bargain that they can add value to, if you like, or, or sort of beautify in, in their style, if you like. I actually get asked this a lot on our Instagram and my advice is find the home for you. Don't find the home for your eyes, basically. So a lot of people, a lot of people fall in love with a home and go, oh, that sounds fantastic. But then they look inside their relationship or their situation and they go, oh, hold on. Um, we don't know how to paint. We <laughs> we don't have any time. We're just about to have kids. We can't afford a reno. So it's really important to focus on what is the right home for you. So with Georgia and I, we sink ourselves into this renovation. That is our social life. <laughs> so so with us, we, um, we don't go out much. Every cent we make goes back into the house mm-hmm. and we try and save in between but then it goes back on the house so yeah you kind of need to be conscious of of what what the home is for you and what's your situation right be realistic about who you are as a person yeah definitely (laughs) I mean let's face it if if you're not going to pick up a hammer and if you're not going to dedicate the time maybe building's better for you yeah building something new that you can put your mark on without having to do the DIY Mm. specifically yeah yeah that's the thing. Just pick and choose the elements inside the home, and maybe that's where you get your get your sort mm. of design kick from. But for us, it's it's renovating, and I know for a lot of our friends, it's renovating, and then a lot of our other friends, it's definitely building <laughs> <laughs> because they can't dedicate that time. Right. right. <laughs> so, what's the one thing you wish you'd known before you bought your first home? This one's a hard one. 
because it's it's so dependent on where you are and what your situation is. But for us, it would be really do your homework and stop falling in love with every house. <laughs> <laughs> so there's going to be a lot of great backyards. There's going to be a lot of open plan livings, but you really need to um, just slow down, do your homework, ask friends for their advice, ask professionals for their advice. And yeah, just look around because things come out of the woodwork once you're in that house and surprises in home ownership are never fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> it's time to put your mark on your first home, check out Razine for the professional advice you need for your decorating projects. Wellingtonian Lisa Mackey is one of my all-time home buying heroes. Not only did she buy her first home on her own in her 40s, but she also taught herself how to do it up on her own too. Fearless in the face of hard work, lumber and the mysteries of plumbing, Lisa had a dream of the perfect kitchen and nothing was going to stop her pursuing it. It's been quite a steep learning curve, but uh, I've really enjoyed the journey actually. It's um, been very satisfying. How did you find the house and what kind of convinced you to, to buy it? Well, I've been looking for a property for over three years and during that time, uh, the market was just on the up and up. Even with a budget of about 500000 in Wellington, Lisa found the market moved so far she had to adjust her expectations of what that would get her. Initially, she hadn't been looking for a fixer-upper. The advice I'd been given early on was that you just need to go to a lot of open homes. Whether you're really interested in the house or not, it's how you get to learn the market. You get a sense of what you may or may not get money-wise. You also learn some of the, the tricks for what happens in open homes. I remember pulling back some drapes at one particular house and just there was mould everywhere and I just went, oh, I'm so glad I found that now. Wow. So, yeah, and, and I don't think that was going to be something that would have been openly shown to me. So um, it just takes a couple of months of it and it, it really becomes a chore. I'm not going to lie about that. I would, would set myself the goal of maybe five or six open homes and if I hit three of them, <laughs> it was a good day because you just, after a while, you, you get depressed either because what you really want costs a lot more than you can afford or what you can afford is really quite drastically less than what you'd like. Mm. So. <laughs> after a hunt and a half, Lisa ended up finding the perfect place for her, a semi-detached unit on a subdivided property in Berenpoor. It's set back uh, off the street and it's uh, nice and quiet and yeah, I really love my location actually. When you've had a really busy day and you just want to come home to your nice quiet little nest, it's absolutely perfect for that. One of the big things is that not only did you, you've, you've just sort of found this place after slogging it out for yourself, but you then decided to take it on even though it needed a bit of work. When you were looking at the place, did you did you make a conscious decision to go, right, I don't mind that it's got to have a lot of work to do? Or or did you sort of think, oh, I can live here for a while and live with how it is and then change your mind once you moved in? I love to cook. And finding a kitchen that was going to work for me was going to always be difficult. And 
I was never going to have the budget to find a house that was going to have the kitchen that I needed. Right. So I always kept in mind when I looked at different places, how could I modify this kitchen? How is it possible to make this work for me? So when I found this particular place, I already had in mind that I was going to have to do work on the kitchen. But the other thing I did was um, I took a builder along with me and just asked him general questions about what would or would not be feasible in terms of renovating. Right. Could I, for example, put a second level on this structurally? You know, which are the load-bearing walls in this place? And just things like that so that I knew the potential of the place Mm. And the advice I was given there was really, really helpful. And that was a bit of a green light for me once I knew that I had a bit of flexibility there. And I could see a lot of potential in it. Mm. It was small, compact, but still had room to improve. So I started small and kept it small just in case things went wrong. So you you actually set out to find something you could you could add value to in a way. That was the intent. If I happened to find something that was all good to go within my price range, that would have been great as well. But I thought realistically, I am not going to find something that's going to tick every box. So tell me more about that kitchen because that really is the bargain of the century. Yeah, no, that's right. I'd been watching um, secondhand kitchens on Trade Me for quite some time. And this one particular kitchen, I could see that they were struggling to sell it. It looked great. I will say the one thing that really sort of turned me off it was the colour scheme on it. It was a custom kitchen when it was installed at the place where I bought it from. And they spent $26,000 installing the kitchen. Mm. It was of high quality. It had all of the soft closed drawers and soft closed doors and things like that. I was also quite happy that they had had it professionally removed from Uh, their place right so yeah so I went up there um I I bought it on trade me I stored it in my garage for three months while I sorted out all the logistics of how I was going to install it and I also had all of the doors for all the cabinetry recut in water resistant MDF and then professionally spray painted and that got around right the the issue I had with the color that I didn't like Right, right so how much did this all cost it cost them 27000 but how much was, was it for you? By the time I um, splurged on a new bench top, <laughs> I probably spent 20k all up, including all my, I got a new fridge, new oven, right, everything. So I, I got a $26,000 kitchen brand new for $20,000 with all the great stuff in it. How much do you think overall, with all the other work that you did to the house, how much overall do you think you saved by doing the work yourself? I've never really put a financial value on it, but I know that my, just even the, the RV of the place um, has gone up sixty dollars or $70,000 in the first year. And that's without really taking into consideration right. that it's got a brand new kitchen in it. I've also put double glazing in the whole thing. I put in a new ventilation system. I've put in underfloor insulation because this is the other thing that happened when I moved in. I think it's quite easy when you're buying a first home to walk in somewhere and you go, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to paint that. I'm going to get this amazing thing. It's going to look great here. And you really look for the cosmetic aspect of your renovations. 
And within a week of moving in, right. I changed and had the mantra warm and dry. Right. That really right. helped prioritize how I spent my money. What it also meant was now that I've made my place warm and dry, I've still got a lot of work I want to do on the place, but I'm not miserable in it. It's livable it's and it's very safe, livable. Yeah. It's quiet, it's warm, it's efficient. Mm. That would be my biggest advice because it, it really helped. As you try and save money, you can't do everything at once. It's You just can't. You don't have the energy or the budget mm. for it. So being able to comfortably wait out while you get your next round of finances sorted for the next part of the renovation, it's really important. So every time when you were doing the work that you just felt totally out of your depth and thought, oh, what have I done here? I probably had a little bit of self-doubt when I was trying to take up all the floor tiles and I was just this is not working I had all of these different tools that I was trying to use and I was just like oh god what if I put a hole in the floor and yeah there was a brief moment oh, where I thought oh yeah and then I sort of recollected myself did a bit more research found out about Kangos whipped down to the local Kennards hired one asked them how to use it got the little tutorial and that worked a treat. That was probably the, the one time where I was like, oh, the, the nice thing is I've got a fantastic builder <laughs> who anytime I can just ring up and say, Tony, how do I do this? And, and he helps me out. So it's always good to have great resources. Yeah, yeah. Cultivate those um, helpful buddies, right? Definitely. Yeah. Would you do it again? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the things that happens when people visit my house is they know it's my home. Mm-hmm. And that wouldn't necessarily have come had I bought something that I hadn't renovated. I've been able to pour my heart and soul and identity into my home by doing this. Right. I wouldn't want a 100% fixer-upper. I would start small because it, it's your learner home. Your first home, in my opinion, is your learner home. It's where you learn who great tradies are. It's where you learn what you like and don't like renovating. Some people like painting. Some people like sanding. Maybe you don't like any of that. But it, it's definitely a very rewarding thing to do. And it's how you make it your home. I, I, I think that's just the thing at the end of the day that has keeps me motivated as I try and plan the rest of it. It's, it's who I am and it's how I show that to people and, and how I live comfortably every day. One thing Shaden and Lisa have in common is that they do their research before jumping into big reno jobs. For an object lesson and why that's crucial, meet my colleague Kevin Norkey. I'm Kevin Norkey. I'm the Mr. Bean of first home buyers because in the 80s I bought a house in Berenport. It was an ageing villa. It was just about falling down and it needed everything done. And basically, I'm an incompetent DIYer and I tried to do it myself. So I have seven points of things not to do. One is don't burn down the house. I try to burn the paint off with one of those blow torches and of course it on fire in the ceiling. Luckily I had a fire extinguisher and a hose. I was able to get it out. But I repeated the dose the next weekend when it burnt from the bottom up rather than the top down. Two, insecure scaffolding is not good. If you are walking along a plank on the scaffolding, make sure you've tied it down because if you haven't tied it down at one end, it will act like a diving board and send you plunging into 
the plants in the garden below. Three, if you are connecting up plumbing, you don't need a hot flushing toilet, so do not connect your toilet to the hot water. It only needs cold water. Four, if your roof blows away and it's raining at the same time, then your ceiling can fill up with water. If you notice that your ceiling is sagging, uh, that means there's water in the ceiling, do not turn on the lights because there'll be a massive explosion. Uh, five, corrugated iron. If you're putting on a new roof after your old roof blew away, corrugated iron is very, very slippery. It's got some kind of uh, slimy stuff on it and it acts like a ski slope. So you'll find yourself whizzing down the roof towards the spouting and possibly over the edge. Luckily, I was able to stop. Six, sometimes your neighbors don't like home renovations and skill soaring at one o'clock in the morning is something they particularly don't like. They will visit. Don't do that. Seven, a lot of power tools have electric cables. These are good because they connect the power uh, through to the skill saw or the sanding grinder thing. Best idea is don't cut through the power cable or don't sand over it because it will stop immediately. I wouldn't want to do it again. In fact, hire somebody. That's my number one tip. After hearing from a couple of handy amateurs, we should probably take some of our own advice and check in with the professionals. You might know builder Stan Scott from the DIY videos he creates for Mitre 10 on YouTube or his Saturday morning DIY show on Magic FM. I caught up with him for a crash course in maintaining and renovating your first home, starting with the first thing you need. What I would highly recommend first is to make sure you've, you've got a proper a thorough building report so you know exactly what you're in for when you're buying and, and and the builder that carries out the inspection should give you an idea as to how big a deal it is to fix some of the things. So hopefully if you've, you've bought a house that doesn't need, you know, major renovations or, or major structural work, you've got a house that, um, something that you can add value to. Right. So you'll be looking at more cosmetic things that you can, you can fix and add value to rather than it's going to have a new roof in the next six months or something like that. Yeah, you know, some people are going to buy their first house and want to live in it and make that their home for the next 10, 15 years, you know. Um, some people want to buy their first home and then just sort of flip it. So they want to just do a few cosmetics and then turn and burn it, So, which, which is cool. That, that's It's up to them. So either way, you still need to know, have a very, very clear idea of exactly what you're getting into and if you, you're planning on turning and burning it, well then um, obviously you, you've, you must have some pretty good ideas of about time management, project management and um, you know renovating and, and, and doing DIY. It must be pretty handy at DIY but if you're buying a house for the first time, you right. know you want to maybe raise a family and you, you want to just get off the rental market and start getting into the property market. Don't overstretch yourself. If, if you can buy a house and still have a little bit of money left in the bank, it makes it so much easier for when you're renovating. You, you haven't borrowed 100% and then you're really, really struggling to even buy a can of paint. Right. Which, you know, to be fair, is, is pretty much how I started out. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of things to look out for. So uh, ideally you'd, you'd be buying a house, I don't know, um, maybe mid-century is, is quite a good era too. It seems to be of the, of the trend nowadays. And things that right. you can do yourself, like maybe building some, you know, a new deck or a fence or a, or a little retaining wall, 
maybe knock down a, an internal wall between the kitchen and lounge, um, bathroom, kitchen, stuff like that, that is all very achievable for a DIY or first home buyer. Oh, really? Even knocking down a wall? Yeah. But I guess you'd, you'd, you'd have to make sure you've asked your builder. Yeah, yeah where the load-bearing walls are and all that kind of stuff, so you don't bring the thing down on top of it. Yeah, you. look, there's been a, a huge amount of changes to the, the Building Act, um, which has been in the media a lot lately, as to what you can do without a building permit. So anyone can go online and get a copy of the things you can do without a building consent, you know, and building retaining walls and, and you know, you can even build a 30-square-metre house. But there are stipulations, obviously, you know, you still have to build everything right. to the to the building code. Some things have to be inspected or designed by a licensed building practitioner. Um, and when it comes to like pulling down walls, if it's not a load-bearing wall, great. You could pull that out with the advice from a, a licensed building practitioner, like a like a builder or um, an engineer. So, so actually you can think a little bit bigger than painting the hallway. Definitely. Maybe you could do more than you might think you can if you're yeah, a bit handy. Yeah, definitely. It's all about how hands-on you want to be, how much money you want to save, and how um, how much knowledge you've got. Mm. By starting out small, maybe like even if you built a, a front fence or something, you know, just to give yourself a bit of confidence, right. hey, look, I, I can do this thing. I've bought a couple of tools and I've bought some good quality tools. It's going to last me a while. I, I did a really good job on building that fence. And so, you know, my next project is building a deck, something a little bit bigger. It's a really good project. Right. So I would say definitely don't just limit yourself to just painting and, and stuff like that. You know, try and save yourself a little bit of money, even if you employ a builder to give you a hand on the bigger things and just say, hey, look, can I, can I work with you? I want to gain some knowledge on, on doing this and, you know, m- building the, a deck or ripping out that wall or whatever it is, you know, by giving them a hand, you, you're gaining knowledge and you're getting the job done properly. And then, you know, maybe if you are going to sell that house, you've got that knowledge to do it on the next one. Yeah, you basically teach yourself how to maintain and, and sort of update your house. So what do you do if... If you start a job and then realise you've bitten off more than you can chew? Renovating can be very, very overwhelming. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you've been in the building trade 30, 40 years or if you're just starting out. If you're renovating your own home, it becomes very overwhelming. The dust, the noise, the dirt, living in a in one part of the house. So... Um, <laughs> What I, what I recommend is, is, say, for example, coming back to the deck, you know, it's a really good DIY project. Be 100% clear on the whole project and break it down into small pieces so it doesn't become right. too overwhelming. It doesn't matter if it's painting or tiling or building a deck or a fence or, or installing a kitchen. Be clear on your whole project and then just say, right, this weekend, I'm just going to mark out where the holes are and I'm going to dig the holes. And then just set yourself small goals and then the job becomes, you know, a lot more achievable and you're thinking that you're not rushing it. Yeah. I actually think that's one of the best pieces of advice you've ever given me for other stories that we've done. When you you said that, you know, make sure you've got everything ready to go on Friday night, not Saturday morning. So you blow a whole Saturday wandering around, (laughs) wandering around the hardware store. 
Yeah, exactly. Spend that Thursday at work working out your materials. Well, hopefully you've already worked out all your materials. Place that order for the materials. Either you get the free loan trailer from out of 10 or, or you get them delivered, you know. It's quite surprising how little it is to get, you know, materials delivered, you know, for like 25 mm. to 45 or, or $95 for a massive truckload. You know, it's money well spent and then you're not mucking around for a whole day in the hardware shop. Yeah, getting distracted by yep. all the... <laughs> yeah. All the other projects you want to do as well. Exactly. Another way to keep home costs down is to stay on top of the maintenance. I asked Stan if it was worthwhile putting a maintenance budget and schedule together. A hundred percent. Look, in, in New Zealand, it's not mandatory to have a building warrant of fitness as such for a house, but to give yourself a building warrant of fitness for your for your domestic dwelling, you know, the house that you live in is a really, really good thing to do. The main thing that you should be looking out for um, on the checklist is your exterior envelope, making sure that your investment is is dry and there's not leaking. So your roof, your exterior cladding, your windows, your, your exterior doors, all that sort of stuff, anywhere that water may be able to get in, making sure the outside of your mm. house is 100% sealed. So even if you have a rotten weatherboard, hey, look, you may not be able to um, get around to fixing that rotten weatherboard right now, but at least you could do is patch it up so no water is coming in because, you know, a 10-minute patch-up with some, you know, a $30 roll of patch-up tape is going to save you thousands of dollars if you leave that for one one winter or, or a couple of winters. It could cost you tens of thousands to right, repair. Right. The least you can do is patch it up so no water can come in because it's not just your house, but it is also your biggest investment, you know, so it's your biggest mm, asset. Mm. So you really do need to be 100% clear on exactly what needs doing to it. You know, check the putty on your windows make sure it's not cracked, you know. If, if, if it is cracked, either get a glazier in or learn how to, to remove the putty and install new putty. You know, all these jobs, you know, a DIY can do and you're gaining skills every time you, you do something. So it's all too easy just to turn a blind eye and go, oh, yeah, I'll get around to that next year. But if you've written it down and it's on your maintenance list, oh, that's right, I've got to replace that, that rotten weatherboard. I can't get around to it, I'm too busy or I don't have the time. At least I can do is, is patch it or, or get someone in to fix it for me before the moisture spreads into the studs and then in the flooring. And, it really yeah, deteriorates, yeah. right. So the budget side of things could be, you know, anything from, you know, a couple of thousand dollars up to $20,000. all depends how much you want to do, but... I would budget, um, I would say maybe $3,000 a year for just general maintenance and bits and pieces around the house. And and then that's not for all your big stuff if you're replacing, you know, a fence or a roof. Right, right. So so you really need to keep in mind the small stuff and a, a much larger job that you might have to do if the worst yeah, happens. Yeah, by getting the inspection report, hopefully it's pretty well detailed and say, right, okay, I know in five years' time I've got to replace that roof, two years' time I've got to replace that window. I've already had the quotes for them and so this is the money I need to put aside for it, yeah. That's actually really, really good advice, I think, for any homeowner, not just oh, a, a first-time homeowner. It's kind of yeah. like anything, you know, like whether you've got a car that's, you know, got rust in it or whatever, and you think, oh, yeah, 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 no, 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 definitely I've got to get around to that. And then you don't and it just keeps spreading and you're like, oh, man, why didn't I get onto that? So 
have that note, that list of all the jobs that you need to do in your face. So you, so it's annoying you. So you get it out of the way, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, that's great advice. Cheers for that. These days, it's typical for homes to get a fresh lick of paint before they go up for sale. So it's usually the last thing you need to worry about when you buy. But what if you bought something that needs a little love? Well, I caught up with Rosine painting consultant Jay Sharples to find out when you should and shouldn't pick up a paintbrush yourself. It depends on the size of the property. Mm. It, I mean, if it was single-storey bungalow, then it's the sort of thing, as long as you're willing to put in the time, uh, you can carry on working and sort of work in the evenings and the weekends to get the job done. So we're talking about painting the exterior of the house, for right? painting, say, the exterior, yep. Right. If you start looking at two-storey or even three-storey buildings and you start looking at scaffolding, then it can start getting quite expensive quite quickly. Is that really a job that sort of amateur person should be doing or could be doing? For, say, a bungalow or single-storey building, if you're confident enough, then yes, not a problem. DIY could do it. There's plenty of information available online on the Resine website or in store speaking to the staff. Right. But if you start going up in stories right. or height, it's probably better to get a professional in to do the work. Right, right, because your scaffolding is a little bit... It's very expensive, yeah. whereas some painters or a lot of contractors have their own mobile towers that they can bring to site to actually reach those points. So if we're thinking sort of about the average three-bedroom... Three sort of suburban yep. home, weatherboard home, what kind of price would you be looking at if you're painting that yourself, buying the paint? Could you give a rough, I mean, obviously, how long is a piece of string because yeah. all houses are I different. It, but it, it depends on the style, I suppose. If it's, say, an old villa, for example, there's going to be a lot more preparation and time involved getting it ready before you even get to painting. Right. Which is, is probably the main thing. Like, I know when I... I bought my first home. It's it's a cedar weatherboard, so it's staining. So it's cleaning it and restaining it. Right. If it was an old villa where I'd have to give up weekends and evenings for an extended period, it just ends up becoming too hard to do and it'd right. be easier to get somebody else in. Right. It really depends on the confidence of the person buying the property and how much time they've got, really. But for quantities and prices... I suppose a, a 10 litre of Lumbersider or Sonics, you're sort of looking at around uh, 120 square metres of coverage with one coat. So depending on the size of the property, if you end up needing two or three, this sort of standard retail price, you're going to end up looking just over $600 for three, three 10 litres. Right. And, and that doesn't even cover things like if you might need to Fix a little bit of... Fixing it, or brushes, or drop sheets, roller trays, sort of it all sort starts all adding up. adding up, yeah. It's sort of something you should have in mind anyway for your home maintenance kit, isn't it, though? Definitely. It'd be nice if everyone had one of those or <laughs> thought about it. One of the main things is getting a maintenance cycle where you're actually cleaning your property. Right. Everyone seems to kind of clean their cars on a weekly or monthly basis, but nobody cleans their house once a year. So would you say that's an annual job then, just giving the house a scrub? Yeah. So annually for cleaning, unless you live within, a, I think it's three or 400 metres from the sea, and then really you need to be doing it twice a year. 
So let's move inside. Yep. When you're looking inside the house and maybe it's going to be a bit dated, maybe a bit faded in there. You've probably got some really classic 70s wallpaper in a few of the rooms. <laughs> Isn't that coming back into fashion? Well, yeah, I think if you wait long enough, that you, you're, <laughs> yeah. you'll be right on trend. Wallpapering and painting is sort of something people think that's all should, you know, we can do it ourselves, especially when Everyone it comes to... Everyone thinks they can do it themselves, yeah. <laughs> but, it's not always the case. Yeah, especially like stripping wallpaper, is that right? If you strip wallpaper, yeah. you can't necessarily paint the wall straight away. You can do. It's It'd be much better to strip the wallpaper than trying to paint over the wallpaper. Mm. So obviously if you paint over it, you still have the texture there. The paint's only sticking to the wallpaper, so if the wallpaper starts losing its adherence with the old glue that's on there, then the paint's coming off as well. Right, right. And once you paint wallpaper, it becomes very difficult to remove it. Yeah, so right, I see. It, it'd be better to strip the wallpaper to start off with. So that's one thing also to keep in mind, isn't it, that when you start removing things, you might, <laughs> you might stumble yeah, over some horror shows. All sorts of other bits that you hadn't thought about. Right. So as with most most things with first-time buys, like budget more than you think you're going to need. Definitely. It's, I suppose it's also a case that if painter or a builder looks at a job before you touch it it's it's one price but if you decide to give it a go and then call them back up to come and fix it the price has usually gone up because it becomes much harder to fix other people's mistakes oh right that was definitely one thing i was going to ask about how quickly those costs can escalate when you have to call someone in for help i suppose it depends what you've done or haven't done at what stage you've given up or decided <laughs> it's become a bit too hard for you to do. or the, the, the main thing with it is obviously you're working all day, you're coming home, you're tired anyway, and then to start thinking about having to strip wallpaper or do whatever it is you're planning on doing with the painting, it starts eating up a lot of your personal time, I suppose. Right. So when you actually get somebody in to do it, it usually happens much quicker rather than you doing a few hours in the evening and all your weekends it can sort of take up all your time for quite a period right as long as you, you're aware out. of that and sort of plan accordingly it's all good but if you don't and think you can do it really quickly and then it starts dragging on and you start losing interest in projects tend to go on a lot longer than you thought and that's why you end up with half painted rooms and yeah 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 <laughs> that's definitely something to think about thank you so much jay all good not a problem so how does it feel to be a homeowner because i still don't know i knew clambering onto the ladder was tough but it turns out it's both harder and more complex than i thought prices for even the most modest first homes are fierce and so is the competition it'd be easy to throw in the towel but while at home we want to be realistic about the prospects for first-time buyers, we don't want to be total bummers about it either. So I'll say this. When I started this project, I'd all but given up on ever owning a home of my own. But after talking to our generous and knowledgeable guests, there's a little spark of hope in me again, and I reckon that's a good thing. Owning a home and being able to secure a stable future for you and your family shouldn't be out of reach for anyone in Aotearoa NZ. It's up to all of us to make that a reality. I'm Kylie Klein-Nixon and this is First Rung. Huge thanks to our guests Lisa Mackey, Shaden Whips, Jay Sharples and Stan Scott. Shout out to producer Joe Hayward and Stuff podcast director Adam Dudding. Thanks also to our sponsors Rosine, New Zealand-made paints for New Zealand-made homes. 
You can find Food Strong on all the podcast platforms, and we really want to hear how your house hunt is going. So drop me a line at honed at stuff.co.nz. Ka kite anō o i a koutou. And in the meantime, happy house hunting. Happy house hunting.